listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We're in a series called The Awe of God, and uh, this is based on a book that John Bevere wrote. Um, He essentially made teachings available to pastors all over the world. And so what we've done is we've taken these teachings and we've basically reworked them to make them suitable for us. Um, So a lot of this content is going to be from John Bevere. I want to say that up front because, um, number one, if you don't like it, talk to John. Uh, But I'm kidding. The second thing is simply this is... um, is, is I, I believe in this, in this message. Um, I, I heard uh, John speak this message um, in February at a conference, and um, it wrecked a lot of us. Uh, we realized that the fear of the Lord is not something that people walk in on a daily basis. And when you don't walk in the fear of the Lord, there are a lot of things that happen as a result and a lot of things that don't happen as a result. And listen, you need to be walking in the fear of the Lord. So I could either recreate the will... Or I could take a really good will and make it suitable for our situation here. And so that's what we've done here. Um, so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, um, uh, to walk through discovering who we really are and how holiness gets us to where we really want to be. Okay, um, first, who we really are. Now, we live in this world where self-awareness is as difficult as self-identity. Uh, Right now, you probably don't have any problem looking in the world and seeing that people are having a problem figuring out how to identify themselves. Identity is a huge issue. Now listen, it's been an issue for a long time. I was a youth pastor for like 20 years, and um, while youth ministry changed drastically over those 20 years to the point where you can't do in 2000 what you're doing in 2019, it just doesn't work, okay? So that's changed. But one thing has not changed is is that people still have no clue who they really are. It's a world where people have no clue who they are, and they often project an identity that isn't really who they are. Um, I'm careful, though, to say that this is just in the world because this has also infiltrated the, the church. We talk a lot about wearing masks in the church, don't we? I mean, don't you hate it when people wear masks? Now, why do people wear masks? A lot of times people wear masks because they are trying to hide hurt and pain. And, and if, if they walk in, and they let somebody know what they're really going through. Well, then all the people might ask, and they're probably going to take me to the altar and pray with me, and somebody's probably going to try to lay one of them little blankets on me and all that stuff. Like, <laughs> your mind goes through all the worst ofs. Like, I think that church had a squirt bottle of olive oil. You know, like, you, you go through all these. I think I've been to that church. <laughs> Doesn't work like that, by the way. But we go through all of that process and think, you know, is it really worth it to unpack? And let, me, let me just, on a side note, say, yes, absolutely it's worth it. And it's worth it for two reasons. Number one, because you need freedom, okay? You need to get free from what you've been struggling with. And the fact that you've walked into this building still carrying it means that you don't have it within yourself, the ability to fix it. So you can either do one of two things. You can either continue to carry your mess out into the world and continue to struggle, or you can be brave enough to tell somebody what you're struggling with so you can find some freedom. That's the first part of it. The second part is this. You're you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and that you do do not love your life unto death. So what does that mean? Loving your life unto death, I'm telling you, whenever you walk up to somebody and you begin to unpack what you've walked through and what you've struggled with, That is laying your life out there, man. That is a sacrifice of who you are. You are killing any identity that you wanted that person to think about you. That is is not loving your life even unto death. 
We know what the blood of the lamb does, but what about the word of your testimony? Some people aren't experiencing freedom in their lives right now simply because you're not talking about the freedom that you got. You're not talking about the testimony that you have. You're not talking about the pain that you went through. And it's like, look, I know the pain hurts. And some of you, I mean, my goodness, even to hear a name sometimes makes you just get into that mode where you're like, like I don't even want to hear that name. Don't say that name around me. That might mean you have some processing to do, and that's okay. But, but hear me, and hear me, hear me really well. If you don't tell your story, no one benefits from it. You might not be willing to take off your mask for yourself, but would you do it if it kept your son from walking through the same pain? But, but is this really the issue? Is it really that we don't know who we are? Or is it that we have a pretty good idea of exactly who we are and we need the mask because who we really are isn't something we really want to put on display? Just like we all have a body, soul, and a spirit, we also have three images. Okay, three images. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10. through For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ. Now look closely at these words, revealed as we are. Every human being has three images. We have a perceived image, a projected image, and an actual image. Let's talk through these. Our perceived image is how other people see us. Now, I'm going to talk about a lot about people and how they perceive you. And I want to say a caveat right here that it is important how people see you. Your reputation is important. Mainly because if your reputation is trash, then your voice is trash. Your ability to speak into them is trash. So you want to have a good reputation, all right? You don't want to be witnessing to the same person you just sold meth to. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, come on. You know, you might get a rise from this, but the Holy Spirit. No, like, no, that's, that's not how that works. Oh, my Lord, where am I going? Um, so our perceived image is how others see us. Remember, the caveat is your reputation is important. Okay, number two, our projected image is the way we desire others to see us. Whew, this is where a lot of people live. And, and we, we will alter unbelievable things in our lives to make sure that people see us the way that we want them to see us. Hey, let me give you a little secret, though, a little life hack. Nobody sees you the way you want them to see you, okay? Nobody does. You are trying to project this image. Almost nobody sees you the way that you see yourself. In fact, most people who live there other people can see right through you. I don't know if you know what's going on in the world right now, but people have learned how to spot a lie or a fake like that. We, we see it so much that we've learned to spot it. In fact, we get surprised by authenticity. It's one of the things people walk in our church and like, man, this church is wild. Like, y'all really love each other. Yeah, we try to be authentic, okay? And it's a surprise to people. The last one is our actual image. That's who we really are. And it can be hidden or unnoticed by others, but it's fully visible to God. It's how we're going to be revealed at the judgment seat. Now, that can be very encouraging or terrifying. Consider Jesus. He was misunderstood. He, he was. He was rejected by religious leaders. He was rejected by other people. His perceived image was unfavorable in the eyes of many, especially the notable people, the religious people. He was misunderstood. He was lied about. 
They said he was demon-possessed. They said he was a drunkard, a glutton, an unholy man who hung out with sinners, a heretic. The list continues. Even to the point where Jesus' brothers were controlled by other people's perceptions of him and attempted to bring Jesus under the same slavery of the fear of man. Look at what it says in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Y'all hear that? No one who works in secret, no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. This is a huge problem within the church. We try to openly show works to prove to people who we are when really we're not that person because your secret works shout louder than your open works. Jesus wasn't interested in what people thought of him. He was interested in what his father thought of him. His actual image is very different. Colossians 1 and 5. He is the image of the invisible God. You want to see the Father? Look at Jesus. Matthew 3, 14. God Almighty audibly affirmed that this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And then in, uh, Jesus' perceived image is not what endured. It's His actual image is what... In fact, uh, I can prove it. When you think of Jesus right now, you think of His holiness. You think of His sacrifice. You think of the fact that He's right now interceding before the Father for you. You don't think of Him how the Pharisees and scribes thought of Him, do you? Jesus was a drunkard. You don't think of Him like that. While on earth, Jesus shunned self-promotion and any efforts to build His own reputation. Boy, some pastors could listen to that for just a minute, just saying... He avoided popularity, notoriety, or the accolades and approval of men. When people wanted to promote him to be king, he pulled away. There was no facade, no false illusion, or no deceit in him. He delighted in the fear of the Lord, which kept his focus on the Father. And you know what? We should also be the express image of Jesus. These these five things that I just read, I'll put on our social media this week. We should strive to do these things. While you need to worry, you think about your reputation and want it to be good, you should be much more concerned about what God thinks about you than what man thinks about you. You should shun uh, promotion and, and, hey, look at me. And This is not who God called us to be. In fact, who do you like more? Who do you want to be around more? The person that's constantly telling you how great they are or the humble person that just does what they do? Okay. When our perceived image carries greater weight than our actual image, our reputation is what we will try to protect at all costs. Our efforts will constantly be focused on appearances and status and titles and popularity and acceptance and reputation and so forth. Because all those things in our minds cover our shortcomings. Personal situation for me, anytime I'm uncomfortable, in an environment, I always try to crack a joke because I think being funny is one of my best attributes. And so my natural mind will begin to joke around just to make sure that people will quickly accept me. It's that crazy. It's that deep. Okay? None of this, though, is what's going to be revealed and examined under judgment. Rather, it's our actual image that God is going to ask us about. That's what God's going to ask us about. Our, our motives, our intentions. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, 
who will, bring, uh, who will both bring to light the hidden things of the darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. You know, too often we live to gain men's praise, but not God's praise. So, a lot of times people look at that scripture and they think that this is talking about the unbeliever's judgment, but I don't think that's true. No, no unbeliever is going to receive praise at judgment. Okay, that's just the bottom line. So by the way, if you're in here right now and you don't know Jesus, don't expect good things to happen at judgment. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not so you can have heaven then, but so you can have heaven now. That's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. Okay? This can only speak of believers. Our awareness of this reality creates holy fear, which in turn keeps us in check and enables us to live from our actual selves. Your fear of the Lord which we remember we talked about last week. Fear of the Lord should cause you to internally think, man, I want to live from my actual image and not some perceived or projected image so that when I stand before God, I can give him a true account, an honest account, not some made-up facsimile or mask. The antithesis also holds true, though. The more we lack the fear of God, the more we'll lean on our projected image. So let's talk about quickly Ananias and Sapphira. Um, the backstory is important um, to understand what happened with them. It begins in chapter 4 of Acts, verses 36 and 37. The Bible says this. And um, jo- Joseph, who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and, bought the money, uh, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, during this time period, Cyprus had a lot of money, okay? If you had any property on Cyprus, you were rich. It's just... That's just how it is. You own something in South Lake, Texas, you rich. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? Same thing with Cyprus. Imagine this, though. A wealthy Levite from Cyprus brings a large sum of money received from the sale of his land to give openly before the entire church. It's pretty incredible, right? Acts 5.1. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Notice the first word, but. Why but? Why not and? Barnabas came and, and dropped some coin. It was awesome. Everybody got excited. They could build a building. <laughs> um, <laughs> praise the Lord. But, no, 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 and, and, no, but it says but. This wealthy newcomer joins the church and brings a massive offering that everyone witnesses, and this gift creates a reaction on the part of this couple. Immediately, they sell some property too, and we pick it up in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and then 11. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after was it sold, uh, uh, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Y'all, what in the world? Some of y'all tithing got real serious, didn't it? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. So great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. Okay, so what initiated this response? It's very important for us to understand this, okay? So we can gain something from this. Could it be that this couple up to this point had the reputation of being the biggest givers in the church? Did this couple enjoy that respect and attention too much? Anybody know anybody like that in the church? Come on. Like the church, the church is full of holy people that just do what God wants them to do. Ah. Were there insecurities in them? And were those insecurities being threatened by being outdone by the new guy? 
were, were all the people celebrating this gift and how it would help their outreach and care for the poor and causing their focus to shift away from Ananias and his wife? Perhaps the couple coveted the lost attention, so they responded by selling a plot of land, quite possibly their greatest asset. Now look, there's a lot of speculation in that. The Bible doesn't pour all of this out. But their response is very, very strange if this stuff wasn't true. Okay, they reason, this is too much money to part with. Like, Jesus, I know you need money, but um, we need some money too, Jesus. They want to appear to give it all. And here's the thing. If they would have said, hey, we sold this land for a million dollars, and we want to give $850,000 to the church and keep one hundred fifty thousand. Ananias would have been living. Ananias would have been living. But the fact that they lied to the Lord and to the people, for why? So that their projected image could overcome their insecurities. Appearance is more important than truth, and thus it led to deception. Now, how come they couldn't understand this? I mean, do you realize these people witnessed some pretty amazing, amazing things in, in, in Acts? Here's some things they witnessed. The wind of heaven blowing and getting the attention of the entire city. Thousands saved in unannounced random meetings. A crippled person being miraculously healed and walking. God's power shaking a building and more, possibly. How could they possibly have thought they could have hidden this from the Lord? But you know what? This is not an uncommon thing in the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned and they thought they could hide from the Lord. In Ezekiel chapter 9, the people of Israel said that the Lord does not see. This is amazing. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12. Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing along with their idols in dark rooms? They're saying the Lord doesn't see us. Why? Because the lights are off. The guy that said let there be light couldn't see what's going on in a dark room? All these scenarios have one common factor, and it's that they don't fear God. So here's our very important truth. Our holy fear grows proportionally to our comprehension of God's glory. And the antithesis is also true. We'll dumb down his greatness, even to the point of human limitations, the less we fear him. The less we fear him, the more emphasis we place on how people see us. So think of it like this, okay? The more we fear God, the less we emphasize how people see us. Now, this statement is very similar to the idea that we had from last week, that holy fear is not that we are terrified of God, but that we are terrified of being away from God. Well, in the same way, we could say holy fear is not emphasizing how people see us, but emphasizing how God sees us. So the more you fear him, the more your your emphasis adjusts from how people see you to how God sees you. So here's a question for you. Does God's opinion of you really matter the most? Does it really matter the most? Here's a good piece of evidence is, is simply how you feel about how people around you feel about you. How do you feel about how people around you feel about you? So what was the deadly trap? It's that they were more interested in how they were perceived by those they saw as their rivals, friends, church members, and leaders. They were more concerned about appearances. Imagine like this, the church was young and growing. They were beginning to gain a reputation. God was probably working through them. They enjoyed the feeling of being recognized as important and reveled in it. And, and I can relate to this because when we launched Freedom Church, we had people that came along that really they came to start to help us start Freedom Church. And, and we needed people, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not ungrateful. 
But a lot of times in those situations, what you find is people who are just mad about their last church experience and their last pastor, and they come in and they think that they're going to get a piece of control of the new organization. And so when you establish some structure, they don't like it because it means they're not getting what they want. People like this are perceived imagers, not actual. And I tell you what, what breaks my heart the most is it people that come in and try to do that? It's the fact that they're going to have to answer to God for that. Y'all, that's terrifying. That's yeah. right. why we work so hard, and, and not just me on messages, but our teaching team. We work hard to preach the truth because I'm going to have to answer for this. Right. It's terrifying. As the reputation grew, they possibly felt the need to cover the questionable behaviors to maintain their reputation in the eyes of believers. Maybe they fought. Maybe they disagreed with each other. Maybe they have some marital spats, okay? They didn't want their peers to think that their disagreements were having any impact or strife, so they projected this loving and caring attitude towards each other, like they're always holding hands and being lovey-dovey. And, but you could tell, man, there's just something like not, something's off in them, right? They posted pictures on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok of just lovey-dovey and our best life, and always, on, like, they'll go sit in the backyard and take a picture of their knee like they're at the beach. You ain't at the beach, you're at the backyard, like, you in your kid's sandbox right now, and a cat has just right there. Like, so don't even, don't even pretend. We're hugging, we're smiling, we're enjoying fun activities. We're hiking. You know you don't hike, okay? The captions read something like, living the dream, or I love doing life with you. Ugh, Monique hates that one, right, doing life? Ugh, it's just cringy, isn't it? There were numerous other post depicting their successful life which is struggling their business which is on the brink of bankruptcy their beautiful children who everybody couldn't stand their kids because they were so mean and defiant but they're pretty (laughs) and plenty of other shortcomings it seemed to work because their social media was really growing their perceived image and projected image was growing but their actual image was suffering they were, they were in a pattern of keeping their projected image strong. And it all seemed harmless, yet, yet their, their godly fear was gradually diminishing with every single act of hypocrisy. And because they were so focused on that projected image, they abandoned holy fear. And rather than walking in that fear and improving their actual image, they replaced the fear of God with the fear of man, which brought about their destruction. The day came when some dude came and brought an offering, and the intention of the peers shifted, and it was all history after that. It all seemed harmless and inspiring to others, but it led them down a dangerous and destructive path. Now, did the Holy Spirit give us this specific couple's fate in Scripture to warn us and to give us a glimpse of of the seriousness of the seat of judgment? Maybe. Um, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.24, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. So hear me, if you want to know why people who do bad things, we had this conversation this morning, why there are certain people in office even that seem like they are full of evil and they live till they're 14 million years old. And how you can have some people that are good people die young. Well, it's possibly that they're being assassinated, just throwing that out there. Get my little tin hat on. But listen to me. I don't know how God chooses this, and I don't know how he picks it. I'm not God, so I'm not going to even delve into that. 
But sometimes your sins get you now, and sometimes you answer for them later. But the Bible does promise one thing. Your sins will find you out. My mother used to say that to me all the time, and I don't want to hear it. As much as I didn't want to hear, seek to find when I'd lost something. No, you tell me where it is. I hope I wasn't too mischievous, but I was handsome, so that helped. God knows not only what I do, but the motives and intentions behind what I do. So we can confess our dark motives. We can repent of them. And God will not only forgive, but if we cry out to Him in holy fear, He will renew our mind through Scripture, and we can be blessed with pure motives. Isn't that what you want? Because listen to me, actual images are fed by pure motives. So how do we get to pure motives? Well, we have to pursue holiness. So let's shift gears for just a second. And instead of pursuing vanity, let's pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians 7 1 says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see how these two are connected? And do you see how your actual image is connected to this? Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people and with holiness and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now listen, I know it's hard to pursue peace with all people. Because not all people want to have peace. This is why you need to add holiness. And let me explain to you why. And I believe the Lord, I don't know, maybe somebody needs this right now, but but whenever you are pursuing peace with all people and you cannot seem to reach peace because they don't want to be peaceful, your holiness is going to be the thing that bridges the gap. Okay? What does that mean? You being unwilling to play dirty. You being unwilling to violate your morality. You, you walking in fear of God so that you won't step into something where they can go, ha, gotcha. I knew you were a lie the whole time. And let me tell you something else. If you think that God won't fight your battle for you and go before you and deal with that person that you've been trying to pursue peace with, you need to go read the Bible. Okay? It's some of you have lived this. You've, you've got stories of this very thing I just said. Holiness is not an end to itself. Rather, it's a passageway into what's most important. So the word pursue in Greek... It's defined as to do something with intense effort and with uh, definite purpose or goal. It's intentional, man. It's speaking passionately, speaking of passionately chasing after holiness with the intent to apprehend it. Okay? Anybody chase your kids before? Your kids are playing with you. They tag you. You try to chase them. I'm not chasing just to chase them. I'm going to get them little jokers. You hear what I'm saying? You're not going to tag me and run off. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you finna get tagged back. Shaking together. Push down. Oh, it's pressed down, shaking together. Oh, my bad. Okay, sorry. But holiness in our lives has two main facets. Number one, it's positional, and number two, it's behavioral. Let's talk about this for just a second. Ephesians 1.4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Now, let me explain this, giving you the example of marriage. Can you imagine a spouse saying to one of her close friends, I'm chasing with intense effort to be my husband's wife. Now, some of y'all in here are chasing a husband real hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, hmm. But you don't get married and then go, I'm pursuing 
to be my husband's wife. You're already, you're already the wife. Some of y'all need to remember that. Y'all are married, okay? They think she lost her mind. She already holds the position of wife. <laughs> if you don't know, I got a license. I can prove it. We got a video. The moment you make Jesus Lord of your life, you release to him your wickedness and you embrace his holiness. Okay? We're justified. I remember in college we learned justified. It say it like this, just as if I'd. Justified. Just as if I'd. That's what justified means. I have, I have been forgiven, and I, I, now God has looked upon me as if I were Jesus himself. Why? Because just as if I had died, Jesus died for me. So remember, holy is simply to be set apart. You are set apart from the rest unto the Lord. Leviticus 20, 26 says this. You shall be holy to me, for I'm the Lord, I'm holy. I have separated you from the people that you should be mine. So if he is holy, you get to take on the characteristics and nature of your father. So the holiness of God is imputed to you. So what does that mean? As far as your position with God is concerned, you are covered under the blood of Jesus, and your position in, your, in terms of your relationship with him, just as Jesus is. When God sees you, he sees the holy blood of his son, and you are imputed his holiness, his righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. That, that is positional holiness. Okay, some of us struggle to, to understand that we're sons and daughters of God. God is not struggling with this. The moment you said yes to his son, you were imputed Christ's righteousness, his holiness. And all of a sudden now, God looks upon you as if you are righteous and holy. Yes, even with your mistakes, even with your mess ups, even with the dumb thing you're probably going to do on Wednesday. He still sees his son, his blood and his righteousness and his holiness. God wants us to work out behavioral holiness as well though this is the behavioral side first peter 1 15 but as the one who called you is holy you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living the consequence for ignoring this command is not seeing god how does this affect us here and now on a daily basis even moment by moment well here it's simple if we lack godly fear we will lack the drive to pursue the holy behavior granting us the privilege of his manifest presence. Remember, godly fear is that list from last week rolled into one. Here it is again. To reverence and be in complete awe of him. To esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. To love what he loves and hate what he hates. To hate all manner of evil, sin, and injustice. To depart from evil in every sense. To give him praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship. To give him all that belongs to him to give his word and presence our full attention, to have that inward force determined to carry out and obey his will no matter the cost, and to allow holy fear to shape our intentions, thoughts, words, and actions. That's the behavioral side of it. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, I will love him and manifest myself to him. What am I saying? I'm saying this. If you are not experiencing the love of Jesus and the manifestation of his presence in your life, it could be that your behavioral holiness is broken. I thought I was holy because of Jesus. Right? Okay, that's the positional. But are your behaviors reflecting your positional holiness? That's what we got to get. Is my behavioral holiness reflecting my positional holiness? 
A lot of times we think that our, our behavioral holiness will get us positional holiness. We do our behaviors out of our being, okay? Doing comes out of our being, not being out of our doing. You don't do to get right with the Lord. You are right with the Lord based on your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. All of the doing flows out of your being. So your behavioral has to flow out of your positional. That's what we're talking about here. So it's worth repeating. No behavioral holiness, no seeing the Lord. Here's a real world translation. Don't expect to experience the holy presence of God in your life if there's no holiness in your life. It's that simple. And yes, it is that aggressive. It's that aggressive. You know, every time I sin, I feel like I'm so distant from the Lord. It's because he will remove his manifest presence from you. Sin separates. So why are we surprised when sin separates? I mean, it's like having water and pouring oil into it and being amazed that they don't mix. I just don't know why it doesn't mix. They can't. Sin and, and God can't mix. So don't expect God's presence if you're constantly embroiled in lifestyles of sin. So why is this critical? First, if we don't see him, we lack his manifest presence and we can't know him intimately. This is where a lot of people live, man. It's sad. They want to experience the intimate side of God, but they don't know how. It's because your behavioral holiness is not reflecting your positional holiness. Worse, though, we deceive ourselves by creating a fictional Jesus who does fictional things. The real danger here is not just creating a Jesus who's not really who he is, but in the fact that we can too easily allow unmet expectations to cause us to hate him and ultimately abandon him for something that he never was going to do in the first place. Well, how come we didn't know he was going to do it? Because we don't have his manifest presence in our life. Second, this reason is equally important. Without being in his presence, we cannot be changed or transformed into his likeness. Remember, we're working out our salvation in holy fear, aren't we? With fear and trembling. And if you're not near the one that can change you, how can you be changed? We have to be careful that we don't love the things of the world more than we love Jesus' presence and his changing ability in our lives. Well, I just can't seem to shake the club. Okay, whatever. How much time are you spending with Jesus? I can't sh- seem to shake this addiction. Well, let me ask you this. Every time you want that addiction, do you just stop right then and begin to pray? Open your Bible? Call a friend? Like, do you do those things? Or I, I, just, I just succumb to it. Well, then don't expect. Come on. Come on, guys. Is this a part of Grow Up Again, a Grow Up series? Like, don't expect good things to happen. When we entertain sin, you know what we get? We get the results of sin. So what's the reward of holiness? Paul told us what happens in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of those who have had the veil removed can see the reflection of the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The veil being removed is what happens. We're changed is what happens. We see him is what happens. We embrace and pursue holiness is what happens. We even begin to reflect the glory of the Lord. I don't know why my circumstances and my surroundings are changing. I don't know why that mean coworker I have is all of a sudden treating me nice. I'll tell you why. You've gotten in God's holiness. And you've begun to embrace who he is. And he's been changing you. And as a result, you become the moon, reflecting the light of the sun into everything you see. But we have to be careful not to take this process lightly. Most Christians do this living half in and half out. And that's the problem. James 4, 3 and 4 says, Your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? 
It's interesting that James uses the adulterer as an example. And really, there are two main reasons why you avoid adultery. First is that you fear God. God listen, the rule should keep you. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the fact that you would be going against what God told you to do should be the first reason. But the second reason is I don't want to lose intimacy with my wife. It's that simple. So when you're faced with sin this week, and you're going to be, you're probably going to be faced with it when you go out, like when you go to Tiger Harry's and decide whether you have that third boudin ball. Like, calm down. You're going to be faced with temptation and sin. Here's what you need to be asking yourself. Oh, should I do this sin or not? No, should you commit adultery on the Lord or not? If you wouldn't do that to your spouse, why don't we do it to him? You know why? It's because we think he'll never leave us or forsake us. Has too much a part of it. (laughs) Your spouse might leave you. (laughs) Without chasing after, with the intent to apprehend behavioral holiness, I cannot enter into the presence of the Lord. It's not when I arrive at the place of holiness. Rather, when I make holiness my heart's pursuit. Is holiness your heart's pursuit? Is that your heart's pursuit? So what's the message today? I read this before, but I'm going to say it again to you. We can confess our dark motives. We can repent of them. And God will not only forgive, but if we cry out to Him for holy fear, we will renew our mind through Scripture, and we can be blessed with pure motives to pursue holiness. You know, here we always talk about how thinking dictates belief and belief dictates action. This is that process. That right there. Just leave that there for a minute. That is the process of changing your thinking to change your belief to change your actions. So when we do this, it means we can abandon the fear of both how other people see us and how we want to be seen and simply live who we really are in Christ Jesus. I mean, my goodness, don't you really just want to be just you? Don't you just want to be real and stop putting on masks? Some of y'all's house looks like a, a, like a, a, a theater shop. There's so many masks. Like, what, don't you want to just throw all that out and be who you really are? Then pursue holiness. You have to do this in Christ. When we try to do this outside of Christ, then we project a version of ourselves that isn't real. But only in Christ can we do this. So the best thing I could ever be is to be like Jesus. That's the best thing I could ever ever be. And when I'm pursuing holiness, that's exactly what he does in me. So I want you to be the real you. It starts with the fear of God. It starts with pursuing holiness. So here's my question for you today. What do you need to be doing to more effectively pursue holiness in your life? If your actual image is what we're trying to get to, and we know that to get to your actual image, you're going to have to be changed by Jesus. You're going to have to experience him. You're going to have to have his manifest presence in your life. You're going to have to have not just positional holiness, but relational holiness. What is keeping you from pursuing holiness like you know you need to be pursuing holiness? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Some of you right now, instantly, you already heard what it is. You know exactly right now what it is. So here's my loving advice to you. Kill that thing. Let it go. It's easier said than done. You're right. But thank the Lord we have a giant slaying bought with the blood of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that can do this in our lives. You can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. You can be righteous by yourself. You couldn't be holy by yourself. You know what's something else? You can't pursue holiness by yourself. 
So if you need to kill that thing, maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to step in where you haven't before. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to do this on my own because I want to show you how much I love you. That is, that is foolishness. It's just foolishness. It will not happen. Some of you need to lay past relationships down on the altar. Some of you need to lay mindsets down on the altar. Some of you actually need to lay physical addictions down on the altar. Some of you are so prideful that nobody can talk to you. Some of you are so hurt and broken that you feel like nobody wants you. Lay it all at the altar today. Listen to me. You're set apart by God for holiness. It's time that we walk in that. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, my goodness, that you impute to us righteousness, holiness. That, my goodness, we have to have faith in you to get those, and you even give us the faith. God, that you're so committed to us. God, that you've done everything in order to make us right with you. And so right now, as a congregation, as a people, we receive you right now, Jesus, as the Lord of our lives. You are Lord Jesus I make that declaration right now. You are my king. You are my Lord. And I choose to pursue holiness right now. Now, Jesus, there are things that are keeping me from pursuing you effectively. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you right now, by your power, to eliminate those things that are causing us to not pursue holiness like we need to. Whatever is keeping us from pursuing behavioral holiness in our lives, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to not only reveal it, but to squash it in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you for your love and your mercy. God, we thank you that all of this is just for one purpose, and that's to get us close to you in a relationship. We embrace you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.